You are listening to Midgard Interactive, a podcast dedicated to the play-by-email game Midgard, produced by Midgard USA and copyright 2020 by John Caps and Talisman Consulting. I am David Oliver Kling, your host, and I first started playing Midgard, the play-by-mail game, back in 1986. Welcome to episode four of Midgard Interactive, the podcast about the play-by-email game Midgard. In this episode, I have the honor of another guest joining me. I'd like to welcome Raven Zachary. He is a new player to Midgard, and I wanted the opportunity to talk to someone who isn't sure what to expect and to try to gauge his hopes for the game and also talk to him about play-by-mail and play-by-email games in general. Some information about him, Raven is a regular contributor to the play-by-mail magazine, Suspense and Decision. I first met Raven back in, oh, probably the late 1980s, around 1988, maybe 1989, when we played the game Outtime Days together. He currently plays 14 different play-by-mail games. He plays in Middle Earth, six different games in Middle Earth, Supernova, two different empires there, three current games in Hyborian War, one clan in the game Tribenet. He also plays in Atlantis New Origins and another game called A New Dawn. He's played several others, including Dungeon World and Dungeon World Estates, Adventure Kings, Fantasy Tribes, and the Isles. He's looking forward to playing Midgard and has currently joined the faction Seekers of Knowledge, which I recruited him into, and hopefully he will serve as the senior number three. He's also involved with the website playbymail.net, and he creates player aids for games such as Middle Earth, Supernova, and Hyborian War. So I'm excited to have him on this podcast. So let's just go ahead and get started. Thank you so much for joining me today. My first question is, I kind of suspect that you haven't read all of the rules for Midgard yet, but I'm interested in what your hopes are for Midgard being a new player, but being an experienced play-by-mail gamer. So what, what are your hopes for the game? So I started reading the rule book just in the past few days since you've recruited me. Really excited about the opportunity for Midgard. Let me explain why that is. So in issue 20 of Suspense and Decision Magazine, it's coming out pretty soon. I have an article entitled In Search of Perfection, Postmortem Examinations on the Path to Play-by-Mail Immortality. And it's basically my experience playing games that have been canceled or shut down by the, by the GMs over time, over the past uh, 30 plus years in PBM. And the main premise of that article is that the lives of, of hand moderators play-by-mail games are inherently fragile but are closer to perfection. And I'm really excited about this notion of a computer-moderated play-by-mail game for Midgard combined with special actions, which allow for that flexibility in storytelling and the ability for players to do more than just input orders onto a turn sheet. And I think that combination is key. If it were entirely special actions, you would have this massive overload on the game master's time to process an entirely imaginative role-playing type of experience. It's not scalable. You can't have 100-plus players doing just special actions in a game. Whereas the reverse would be an entirely computer-moderated game without the flexibility for players to explore their passion. And to me, that combination of the computer moderation for sustainability for the game master so that it keeps running beyond the initial launch with the imaginative capability 
possibility of special actions. That that combination, I think, is going to be key to not only attracting players, but making sure that the game is sustainable over a longer period of time. Yeah, I, I agree with your assessment on that. And that was always one of the things that I really liked about Midgard. It had things that, you know, you inputted orders, you, you had your units assigned certain behaviors for combat and whatnot. But then there was always that personal element. And I remember, for example, one of my favorite positions way back when, when uh, Zan Erskine ran the game, I um, had, a, had a character that wanted to really enmesh himself in the culture and life of the city because my play style is I like to stay put and build, build and develop a city. And so what I did was I had, I did a special action and had these big elaborate gatherings and parties with all the, the well-to-do and well-connected people within the city. And then what I did is made it known that I was a very available bachelor. So eventually through a course of several special actions in the game, my character ended up getting married to the daughter of one of the very prominent nobles in the family. And I also, so I got to, to role play that and do that over time, but I also got to watch how that affected the stats of my city turn. You know, influence was rising for the faction that I was in within the city, and my own influence was was going up. And it was just really fascinating to see the interplay between how the special action affected sort of the in-game stats. So this has always been something that I really liked about the game. And so since, you know, like I mentioned, I like to build and, and really, I'm not, a, I'm not an explorer type. I usually, I'm like a power gamer that likes to build, build, build. What sorts of things do you usually prefer to do in an open-ended game such as Midgard. And I think there's some similarities between Midgard and another game that you play, TribeNet. Is that right? It is. I think the, inherently they, they are similar in that they're both open-ended games. They both allow for the combination of computer moderation as well as a little bit of role-playing or side. And that flexibility through a skill system of going out and doing a lot of different things. I think Midgard is probably inherently much more focused around conquest, military powers, and expansion, whereas I think TribeNet is much more around civilization building, creating trading relationships with partners. Warfare is much less involved in that game, but it has that same opportunity with the GM to go in and provide special events, encounters, and it's a really fascinating combination. It's really the only thing else out there that I've seen that's still being run today as a PBM that has those similarities with Midgard. Are there special actions in TribeNet? So there's not special actions per se, although the GM will reach out to you on a kind of a random interval and provide opportunities to pursue role-playing of your clan. My clan actually in that game in in TribeNet just finished going off on this adventure. I got to choose eight members of my clan to go off and search for this icon on an island chain off in a different part of the world. They failed to find this icon and bring it back to the museum. I was competing with a number of other tribes. I think it may have been uh, seven or eight other other tribes, but my eight adventurers came back with some some prizes and some other rewards uh, in the event. But it was this kind of interesting multi-month arc of a story. In other cases, I found a lost prince in the wilderness and then escorted him back to his his people and received payment for that. So there are these opportunities that, that, that come from the GM on a random basis. So your initial question for me was what I like to do in open-ended games. I tend to pursue 
skill development, technology development, trading. I love map making. I think one of the reasons that I'm excited about Midgard and TribeNet and other open-ended play-by-mail games is this ability to go and explore the unknown. I love using mapping software. I have all sorts of maps that are um, framed and up in my home from various uh, historical periods and, and different fictional worlds like Middle Earth from J.R.R. Tolkien. And I love that ability to go out and explore and find new things and provide information and, and seek things out, which is one of the reasons why I'm excited about joining the seekers of knowledge in uh, in Midgard. It seems very much a kind of akin to my play style. Oh, nice. I, I didn't know that it was your play style. I think there's there'll be plenty of opportunity in, in Midgard for that, especially since you'll be down in, in Kalmar. There's a um, there's just going to be a lot, a lot to look for. I think you'll have a good time. Excellent. Um, what is it about the play-by-mail gaming genre that attracts you, other than it's a safe haven for introverts? Yeah, great question. So back in the 80s and 90s, when I was playing play-by-mail games in middle school, high school, and early years of college, it really was the only multiplayer type of experience at that level. You could get together with a board gaming group. You get together with a role-playing group. You're talking about you know two to, to 10 people max. Play-by-mail games were really the only outlet, other than going to gaming conventions where you could have these you know massive miniatures battles or massive player games. Play-by-mail gaming was really the only way to do that massive world building. And the internet came along in the mid to late 90s, and we saw this whole generation of multiplayer computer games. And I would say that's one of many reasons why we saw the, the largely the death of the play-by-mail gaming hobby back in that time period. There were other reasons, of course, but people really shifted towards the internet and online gaming to, to scratch that itch. But what I found having coming back you know, to the hobby 25 years later, since uh, 2018, is that there's just nothing out there in computer gaming that is quite the same. And even today, I mean, think of all of the gaming opportunities that people have to work online and nothing really can can match that experience of being in a, in a massive play-by-mail gaming universe where you help to create it there's this book by Herman Hesse called uh, Magister Ludi the, the the other title that people often know this by is the the glass bead game yeah i've read several of hesse's books yeah and th- what's fascinating about this book is the premise and it's it's well described in its intro chapter is that in that history of the world is a game so compelling that it has re- has reshaped culture of our world. And there are centers of learning that have been created for the study of this game. And I've always been fascinated by fascinated by that concept since I was a since I was a kid reading this book. And when you think about a game like Midgard, you're you're thinking that's really an opportunity to have a player base that is working together to kind of shape this world and move it forward. And that's very exciting. It's 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 an opportunity in gaming I don't think a lot of people have uh, to create that world. Yeah, I would agree with that. And just listening to you talk, I was thinking about my own experience with play-by-mail games and also with video games. And I was thinking about that. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, personality profiling profiling systems like the Mm Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram. But on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ. So I, you know, the T side makes me cerebral. I think a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the inside makes me more in the realm of ideas as opposed to, you know, facts, figures, numbers. So I'm not, I tend not to be a number cruncher. I tend to be an idea person. And mm-hmm. so, so the difference, the, the issue I have with video games is, you know, I played like World of Warcraft probably for 10 years. Star Wars Old Republic, love them both. But the problem is, is when I turn off the game, the game's in in stasis. I come back to it, it's like I never left. 
But with play-by-mail games, is it really allows me to be in that NT mode within like the Myers-Briggs. Yep. And yeah, it, yeah go ahead. Uh, it won't surprise you to know that I also am NT, INTP, although my P and my J are, are pretty close. And the other thing I would add to that is, you know, in the evenings when after dinner and the family's hanging out together, my wife's reading and my you know kids are doing things, it's not anywhere near as a problem for me to pull out a laptop and work on a play-by-mail game turn than it is to boot up a video game. Most video games these days, you can't even pause them, right? If, especially these online games, you have to, to play out some sort of event, which may take 90 minutes. And with play-by-mail gaming, I open up my turn sheet, I work on it for 20 minutes, there may be, you know, we may need to go walk the dogs, we may need to go take out the trash, or, you know, we may want to play a board game or watch a movie as a family. I can just shut the laptop and, and set it aside, put it all on pause. And it's really hard to do that today with multiplayer video games. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I like the idea. Well, let me let me let me back up a little bit. When I played Midgard way back when in the 80s and then in the 90s and you know for a hot second in the 2000s, I found myself thinking about the game when I wasn't actually sitting down there working on it. Mm. And years later, I would occasionally think about some of the positions that I had and that I loved, because I played several. But I would think about them and think about, man, I wish I was able to finish this project that I that I wanted to get accomplished. And that doesn't really happen too much with me in video games. I mean, I tend to have goals in game, and I like to, like when I was playing Star Wars The Old Republic, I made millions and millions of credit credits by crafting things and selling them crafting things and Mm -hmm. selling them to the point where my wife said if you could learn how to do that in real life we'd be wealthy i'm like yeah but it's not as fun because you know and and, you know so there's some of that but i ended up finding that what i liked most about the mmos that i played and i tended to only play mmos because they had other people in them because they had other people in them they seemed more i don't want to say more real because i know they're just a game but it seemed more than just the illusion of of accomplishment like mm-hmm. when you play a game that's 100% solo so i always knew that there was somebody else around it was just a very different you know different experience and so I've I've always loved play by mail, and I kind of thought it had died completely. And it's nice to see that it's still around. It might not be the same as what it was in its the golden age, but it's it's nice to see that it's still around. It is. What's interesting to me, having been back for two and a half years or so, is how fragmented the play by mail gaming community has become. When I was playing back in the '80s and '90s, it was very common for one player to be playing in a half a dozen different games at the same time. And what you're seeing now is for whether it's for nostalgia or people are just too busy to pursue multiple games it's incredibly rare to find a play by mail gamer today that's in more than a single game uh, i'm in a whole bunch and i think i know four other people total who are in more than a single play by mail game and so you have these fragmented communities you know you have the hyborian war community off on their forums and the middle earth folks in another forum and tribenet and midgard you don't really have a play by mail gaming community today you really have have game communities today. And I'm hoping that we'll see over time, as those of us in our 40s and 50s who have returned to the hobby in the last several years, we'll start seeing opportunities to come together and actually advocate other systems, not just be a player of a single system. We have time in our lives to do multiple things. It's not as though we only have a small sliver of opportunity and therefore we must play a single play-by-mail game. So I'm hoping we're going to see more diversity in the player base. I hope to see that too. And one of the purposes of this podcast well, the main purpose of this podcast is to promote the game Midgard. Mm-hmm. But I would love opportunities.
opportunities to talk to people about play-by-mail gaming in general, because if I can sort of cross-fertilize into other, sort as you say, gaming communities, that, hey, there's this great game called Midgard that you might like to play also, come join us. I don't want to take you from your your primary game of choice. All games need a, need a base, but let's diversify our interests and play in multiple games. Like, you recruited me into TribeNet, and I'm looking forward to that, and I'm probably going to get into Supernova here, here you know, one of these days soon. Mm-hmm. And so having, you know, multiple avenues for my gaming interests doesn't pose a threat, for example, to Midgard, because I'm certainly not going to give up Midgard and exclusively focus on Supernova or TribeNet. But it, it's nice to have, you know, multiple communities that you can be a part of because, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Star Wars and I also like Star Trek and I also like, you know, several other shows, especially with right. programming you know available on like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these different uh, platforms producing great content. You know, we don't stick with one fandom. Most people don't, at least. I see no need to stick with just one play-by-mail game. If right. You... The, the, the largest community of possible recruits for Midgard after going and contacting all of the prior Midgard players is absolutely going to be those people who are playing other play-by-mail games. And it can be done in a way that doesn't cannibalize the success of these other games. People can add another game to their list. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not as though uh, people can only focus on a single game, therefore we're stealing players from other communities. And then to add to that, I think the third the third community to pull from is actually the uh, the prison system. And I talk about this in an article I write in also in Suspense and Decision issue 20 coming up, that just at one federal institution, uh, USP Tucson in Tucson, Arizona, it's a federal prison, there are 42 supernova players. That's a single prison in the U.S. federal prison system. And you have very limited opportunities for gaming. If you go into the prison system, whether it be the, the state or the federal or even the municipal prison, system and you're a gamer, you don't have a lot of opportunities to do gaming. And play-by-mail games have been doing exceptionally well in the prison system. And there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of dedicated, committed people in in institutions that that are hungry for play-by-mail games. Fascinating. Uh, that would be really interesting for someone to, someone to do a study, like an academic study on that. Absolutely. And at first, you know, when I first encountered a, a inmate playing a play-by-mail game, it was in the game Supernova. There's so many inmates playing playing Supernova. I don't have a lot of, most most people don't have a lot of exposure to the prison system. And there's that trepidation of, okay, what does this mean? Do I have to give them my contact information? Is this awkward? Am I going to get exposed to things that I've never understood in life? And, you know, like everyone, when I first encountered a player who was in the prison system, there is that hesitation because you don't have a point of reference. And the more you learn, the, the less awkward this all becomes, the less hesitation you have. And now I'm actively corresponding with a handful of active PBM players in the prison system over uh, email, a print postal letter, and occasional phone calls. And these are people who have very limited rights, very limited opportunities, and they think of the play-by-mail gaming opportunity as a privilege, and they they cherish that privilege. And so they are some of the most committed players that I have come across in recent years. Well, one of the things that I was thinking of is they're probably contextually like in the 80s. Yes. So they're their gaming's, I mean, because back then, you know, we had phone calls, but you were often paying 10, 15, 20 cents a minute. Mm hmm. You know, that could, that could get costly. Now it's not like that, but back then it was. So you limited your phone calls and did a lot of things through the mail and looked really forward to getting the mail. 
when I was in the Navy, I would just be overjoyed when I got a turn in the mail because I'd been at sea for 40 days and hadn't seen <laughs> another person besides the few people I worked with. So yeah. yeah, that's really, that's really fascinating. And, you know, speaking of, you mentioned being in forties, you know, a lot of the older players being in their forties and fifties, as I look at how much I spent playing play by mail games, you know, when I was younger and now I think, yeah, now I can actually afford it. Absolutely. It, <laughs> uh, proportionally, not only, not only can you afford it because you're a working adult and not relying upon a paper route or your parents or uh, doing household errands to make some money, the, the turn fees have largely stayed the same or have increased at a lower rate than inflation. And so I think about how expensive a, a $7 turn was to me in the 80s. And the $7 turn now, not only am I a working adult, but $7 is worth a lot less today yeah, exactly. uh, than it was in the 80s. And we don't have long distance phone bills. No. That's the other part of it. I, I remember I had to get a job to pay off my play-by-mail game long distance phone bill. Me too. Uh, when I was 16. And my parents were furious. I got a job just to pay for, not for the turn fees. The turn fees were manageable. It was the long distance fees that, the, that, that you know, really uh, got me in trouble with my parents. Yeah, me too. And I, I remember 16 years old, I played, uh, let's see, a game called Caravans of Pangeas. I played Midgard. I think I played It's a Crime. And I remember playing, listening to the Beastie Boys, playing It's a Crime and thinking, yeah, I'm a, I'm a gangster. You know, I'm, I wasn't. I was just a 16-year-old punk. But, <laughs> but in my mind, you know, listening to Beastie Boys and, you know, and, and filling out my turns, I, I was someone. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's good to see that the the hobby is has some life in it and has a future and my hope is that Midgard will just reach a true renaissance uh, you know of the game and it'll be like it well, it won't be like it was and I don't want it to be like it was I want it to be something different and I want it to be better and I think it's yeah, a, I mean oh go ahead I was going to say there's really two components to that right which is an active vibrant player base and an active GM who isn't overwhelmed and I think the basis of Midgard the mechanics of Midgard the how special actions work need to be done in such a way that the system doesn't stress those people who are running it while also allowing for that vibrancy to occur in the player community. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And I know that John has, I think, three or four other game masters lined up and some of them are family. So he seems to have a really good team ready to, to rock and roll with Midgard. And, and another testament to the sort of the Midgard legacy is I believe there's like 47 to 50 returned players who have heard heard that Midgard was coming back and they're they're finding their way home so to speak. That's, that's a great. that's a strong testament to to a game. Yep. That's that hasn't been run since 20 years ago. So that's, I, that's great. Yeah, it seems that the the most active and thriving PBMs these days and there's maybe about 10 of them that really stand out from the pack in terms of a large player community are kind of in that 80 to 180 player count. That that tends to be the size for each of these games. There are certainly games that have a smaller player base and there are a couple games that have a larger player base than that. But even in even in the, the most active play-by-mail games that still are being operated today, and there's only about 60 to 70, depending upon how you count them. And that's going to be covered. Also, I'll mention that starting in, in issue 20 of Suspense, Suspense and Decision magazine, uh, and then every future issue past then, we're going to have an updated uh, index of every active play-by-mail game. Oh, wonderful. Even, even those larger communities, oftentimes what happens is uh, multiple people will play multiple
multiple positions. So as an example, Supernova, there may be 200 to 300 space empires in that game, but there's only a, a, a smaller fraction that are actually different players. There may Some people are playing three empires. I'm playing two empires in Supernova, as an example. Oh, got you. There are, there are some people who play six empires. And so what you'll find is there may only be, let's say, 100 active players who are then playing several hundred positions. And it sounds like in Midgard, that may also be the case, that, that there's this notion of an individual player could have multiple clans. That's right. Multiple clans and multiple cities. I know when I used to play Midgard before, I used to spend about $100 a month. And at the time, a clan in a city was $5 and you could pay, you could play, I think, up to nine clans in nine cities. Mm. So, you know, I dropped qu- quite a bit. And, you know, back then, that was a lot of money for me. But, you know, I gave plasma every every month. So I, yeah. could, <laughs> I, so I could play. And now it's not that big a deal. I mean, I could I could easily drop it because, you know, it was, you know, each faction has its, has its pluses and its minuses. And it's nice to be able to kind of have a diverse, diverse things that you can do. You know, I, I mentioned I tend to be sort of a power gamer and like to build, but I like to do other things occasionally, just not, you know, just not as much. So if I have maybe one clan that's doing some exploring and I've got three or four that are just, you know, building is building like crazy, then I'm satisfied. But if I just had one position and all I did was wander around, that might not satisfy me like it would be if I had just one, if I just had one position, I would probably just camp that position and build. What's the right way to handle compartmentalization of information? Because I, I love games that allow for that ability to have multiple positions for the for the kind of the power gamer, the, the people who have more time or they're just really into it. But how do you manage effectively compartmentalization in a way that doesn't hurt the game? Well, that's been an ongoing debate in the forums. At least I'm pretty sure that that was a, that's been going on. And, it, you know, it's sort of understood that your other clans are like cousins. Now, cousins to your sort of main position. Now, that's that was sort of the original idea way back when. I'm not sure if that's really going to carry over because if you have, let's say, clans in Kalmar, then you have, let's say, you wanted to play an Imperial clan in the north of Midgard, you're, you're very, very far away and it would take you a substantial amount of time to go from northern Midgard all the way down to Kalmar. But you could essentially differentiate the two and just play the Imperial clan and sort of ignore all of your other stuff. You could do that, mm-hmm. depending upon you know what you wanted to do. Now, if you're let's say you're a senior player in let's say the Seekers of Knowledge, you couldn't be a senior in any other faction. Now, you could be a player and you could be a prominent player in any other faction, but you couldn't be a senior player. That would be sort of a conflict of interest. And every faction has four senior players: the senior one through senior four. The senior one is usually the like the executive officer. The two is your chief financial officer. Three is your military, and four is your information officer. I mean, I think you have to be a responsible player. Um, I would hope that players would kind of police each other and not force the, the the game master and the model to sort of enforce that and prevent that. But one of the safeguards in the game is that every faction is governed by a number zero. The number zero is the game master. Mm. So even though you have the four seniors and they can pretty much do what they, they feel they need to do to run the faction, if they're intentionally taking the faction in a wrong direction, the zero can step in and supersede everything. It's good for the, for at least for the senior number one of a faction to be on really good terms with the number zero and to be communicating with him or her often through the game to sort of, you know, maintain that connection with the, you know, with their own faction. Does that make sense? It does. And I think in the same way where we talked earlier about this notion of the the beauty of the combination of computer moderation and hand moderation working together to make a more vibrant, interesting, imaginative world, perhaps with this potential conflict, it could be also a mix of kind of stated rules up front to players, which 
which could be as simple as you can only have multiple clans that are spread apart some amount of distance, of different continents. Uh, you know, different player mill games have different rules about that. And the other possibility is just, you know, there's the there's the there's the implementation of the rule, which is, you know, whatever that may be in Midgard. And then there's the everyone use common sense, you know, the kind of the human part of that, which is don't do something that's going to hurt another group of players uh, by sharing information. You know, don't don't utilize this this rule of multiple clans in a way that, that could impair someone else's experience. Exactly. And like, for example, what I want to do, you know, my primary is Seekers of Knowledge, but I also want to play a, a Simru and I also want to play a, a guild character and I want to put that guild character who's in the guilds faction focusing on I'm probably going to focus on brewery and be like a mm. you know and have like run distilleries and such in the city that my seeker of knowledge character runs the one thing I'm going to do is you know build up that guilds character and have fun with it but also support that city that my seeker of knowledge character runs mm. so you know is that creating a position just to support and build up another position yes but I also want to do stuff with that position that's going to benefit that position and just be fun and there's not a conflict for that city to have a you know a brewer guild clan in that city doing their thing it's just going to help the city but i would rather do it in one of my cities than often as you know in a faction in, in another area that i have no involvement with so it gives me an opportunity to kind of interplay some of those positions. But then I also want to do some stuff, you know, maybe on the southern continent of Midgard and just see what's going on there and maybe not necessarily tie that in to any of my clans in Kalmar just to kind of do something a little bit different. And so, you know, there is that there is that fine line. And, you know, as a, you know, as a senior, if you've got people who are, you know, in the faction who you know may be in factions that might not be 100% friendly, then you have to be careful what what information that you give to them. You know, you might not want to utilize them to do some secret work that might undermine the faction that they're also involved in. So it just requires a level of mindfulness, you know, for the player base. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, you know, that's a fine line, but you know, we're here to have fun. And yeah. if you can if you if you can't have fun without sort of twisting the rules around and and trying to undermine the system, then, you know, that's kind of an ethical thing as far as I'm concerned, but hopefully people won't do that. You know, in the, you know, when I played Midgard before, I played Played in the rotor, which are one of the the how like the noble houses, so to speak. But I also played um, in the banner, and the banner and the rotor were kind of enemies. But one of the things that I tried to do with my position with the rotor, because I was rotor senior number one for a while, is I tried to mend those conflicts with with the with the banner. Tried to you know work in game to sort of reconcile the differences, and that was kind of fun too. And you know, so there there is that fine line, but hopefully players will sort of please each other not try to exploit the system. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Do you have any closing comments? I'm excited to get going. It's it's pretty rare in this day and age to be able to start a new play by mail game. It's the you know the resurrection of an old game with some changes, but there haven't been a lot of new games formed uh, in the last decade. It, it's mostly been a continuation of games from the 80s and 90s that have been kind of on life support, and in most cases, more of a hobby than a, than a commercial endeavor. I mean, there are certainly commercial PBMs today that are generating profit, uh, but not a lot of profit uh, because the communities aren't very 
very large. But you know, to, for a PBM to, to be run successfully in this day, and it needs a, a passion, right? It really needs a bit of passion and a little bit of insanity, I think, too, to want to take on <laughs> this uh, this responsibility. It's, it's very time consuming. Most GMs are pretty stressed out because they're having to not only run the game, but manage this huge amount of inbound customer support. Every player has questions. Every player has an issue with their turn. It's stressful being a GM from what I can see from this side looking to the other side. So I'm excited about uh, Midgard. Uh, I hope it has enough momentum from what I've heard from you and looking on the forums, yes, to kind of get through that that awkward pre-launch period and get out and uh, grow the grow the community. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I have my fingers crossed and I'm hoping this podcast will help promote, you know, promote the game and promote a good, solid, healthy community. So thanks again for being with me and I look forward to gaming with you. It was great having Raven Zachary on the podcast. If you are a player of Midgard and you would like to come on this podcast and talk about this awesome game, please contact me. My email is in the outro of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Midgard Interactive. Please send your feedback directly to me at david.oliver.kling at gmail.com. And do me a favor, put Midgard in the subject so I know that it's about this podcast. Thanks again for listening. And remember, there are many different factions in the game. Make sure you choose wisely. <laughs>